We begin with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of who you are, the creator, the sustainer of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you, Father, this morning for all your gifts. We thank you for Jesus Christ, especially who died for our sins. We thank you that you raised him from the dead so that whoever simply believes the good news about what you have revealed about your son's death on the cross and his resurrection will never perish, but has eternal life. Today, Father, we do also ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we gather here together and hear your word and sing to you. And Father, we also pray for the needs of the saints this morning, especially those who are members of our congregation. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Let's stand now and sing a congregation song together. I ask you this morning once again to pray for Israel. In particular, please pray for Jen's family who are over there. Also, there's a friend of Lori's who has a family um, over there, some of which are missing and at this point presumed to be hostages. So we would ask for special prayer for them as well. Also, let's pray for all the innocent who are in danger in any way at this time. And we pray, Father, that you deal with the evil men who want to wipe out your people, Israel. Schedule note, there will be no bomb study on Thursday, November 9th. Also need to let you know of an emergency need right now. Pastor Adams has requested money, about $1,000. And the reason is, is that there's a woman in the Healing Hands of Christ's home, a leper, who is critically ill, desperately in need of medicine. And, um, and they, they've exhausted everything that the public hospital can provide. And this has happened before. Um, and therefore, she needs what can only be gotten privately. And so, and the amount of that, again, is about $1,000. I'm appealing to you, anybody who's willing and able, to, to care for all a part of this amount. Take care of all a part, please. If we have an excess, trust me, we'll give it back. Okay, we're going to track what, what the expenses are. And um, I just pray that, that the Lord would have you with the capability and the desire at this time to take care of that need. All right, the title of today's message is Called as Saints. Called as Saints. Please turn now in your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 1. John, chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean, because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, And I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. I prepared a message this morning on this passage. But as I continued studying, I, uh, little by little, I, I understood that uh, I, was get, I was directed by the Lord. It sounds a little hyper-spiritual, but sometimes it happens. You just can see again and again there's kind of a prodding, okay, go in this direction. So I did. And um, I'll tell you a little bit. What happened was, um, as I kept writing and studying, comparing and reviewing, I kept writing down, and here's our version of this. Our being the church, members of the body of Christ. And so the Lord kind of indicated, again, I'm not one to be hyper-spiritual, but through his word, now we needed to take a break this morning from the verse-by-verse study in Gospel of John just to make sure that we don't lose sight of who we are in Christ as members of the body of Christ here in the church age. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So I'd like you to look now at back at John chapter 15, verse 8. This is, this is going to be our starting point to take us to understand more or at least to review who we are in Christ. John 15, chapter 8, verse 8. John 15, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let me ask you a question. Here's the question. Which is greater, being a disciple or being a member of the body of Christ? I'm going to give you a minute to think about that. Which is greater, being a disciple or being a member of the body of Christ? Let me tell you something. It's not even a close call. It's a member of the body of Christ. Not even a close call. The saints, being in the body of Christ, okay, I'm going to use those two interchangeably this morning. Being in the body of Christ, a saint in the church, is a far greater standing than what being a disciple would mean, did mean. Let's see, in a minute, why I said did mean. Let me me kind of let you know about what a disciple is and then contrast that or compare it to what we are. Okay, as members of the body of Christ. Here's the thing. Disciples followed Jesus when he was on earth. Disciples followed Jesus when he was on earth. But Jesus isn't on earth anymore, is he? No. So who are we now? Who are we as members of the body of Christ, as saints? This is who we are. We're in a permanent union with the resurrected Christ. So you have a disciple who followed Jesus on earth... And then you have saints who are in permanent union with the resurrected Christ in heaven. Which is greater? 
which, which is greater, following Jesus on earth when he was here, or being in permanent union with the resurrected Christ in heaven? Resurrected Christ in heaven, right? See, the church begins there. You see, what happened was, all, all it had to do with sin and Adam, right, found its end in the cross of Jesus Christ. As believers in Christ, we've, we've already been crucified with Christ, as Paul says. We've already died to sin, died to the law. Old things are gone away. New things have come. The church began with the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. There was no church before that. Okay? So, so while the disciples were oriented to Jesus on earth, we are in union with Christ the resurrected Christ in heaven. That's a far, far greater thing. I want to give you some facts from the Bible this morning to help you understand this difference between a disciple and a saint. Between a disciple and a saint. All right, so here's the thing. This is, this is kind of a key thing to understand this morning. So you have disciple, you have saints. Now, as a pastor, and you can do this too, I often will go and use a tool called a concordance. What is that? Well, concordance is simply a, 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 a text computer program today that identifies every place in the Bible where a particular English word is used. Okay? You can look for the whole Bible. You can look for the New Testament only. There's a lot of things you can do. Well, it turns out if you look at the word disciple or disciples... In the, in, the, in the text of the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, you will discover that that word never appears after the book of Acts. The last time we see that somebody being referred to as a disciple is in the book of Acts. Okay. Why is that important? Whoops, that's not why it's important. Let me get back to here. Okay, here's why that's important. The, as a matter of fact, if you were to look at, and I did this yesterday, uh, concordance for disciple or disciples, it never appears in the Bible after Acts 21-26. You can check this out. So what does that mean? In other words, it, never, it disappears from the text. It's never seen again. I'm talking about after in the Bible, in the order of the Bible, after the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts, of course, is a transition book that begins... With, with the Jews in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. I mean, a little before that, we see the ascension of Christ. Then we see the Jews at Pentecost. Jews, by the way, from every, every nation assembled for that feast in Pentecost. And then we have the apostles coming out, and they're preaching the gospel for the very first time under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then as you go through the book of Acts, what happens is there's a transition between What's over here in terms of the beginnings of the church with Israel, with the Jews. And then Paul comes on the scene in chapter 9. And then he is given a unique mission. And now what we find out is that the, 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 the ministry of Paul is bringing in Gentiles. And then, now we, look, a lot of us are Gentiles this morning. I'm not going to ask for hands, but you know, there goes my pen. Well, a lot of us, most of us, I submit are Gentiles, meaning not Jewish. And while, and while we don't think anything of it, and as a matter of fact, it's, it's exciting when we have a born-again Jewish person, isn't it? It is. Why? 
Well, because now most of the church of Jesus Christ, the body, is Gentile. But that never happened. In the times of Israel, the Gentiles were excluded from the blessings, excluded from the promises, excluded from the temple worship. So it was a revolutionary thing, actually, when, when the Lord had Paul go to the Gentiles. And we're going to see a little while what he writes about what the Gentiles became now that Christ has ascended into heaven. So when you, when you understand that the, that the word disciple does not appear in the Bible after the book of Acts, that's very significant. Why? Because what comes right after the book of Acts? Bible scholars? What book of the Bible comes right after the book of Acts? Romans. Book of Romans. And what's the book of Romans? It's a letter, right? Well, it is. Oh, it's a fantastic... By the way, the book of Romans is the foundation of what it means to be a saint in Christ. That's what it is. That's why it's first. I've mentioned this to you before. I'm convinced that the order of the epistles is, is pretty much inspired by God because of how it's laid out. Okay, that's not our message today. But just think about the first one, Romans, is the foundation. And what happens after that, I know I've mentioned this before, but I want to tell you again. What happens after that is you can stack all the other letters on top of the book of Romans, and then things are further developed. Okay. In any event, right after the book of Acts, book of Romans, that's an epistle, the first epistle written by Paul. By the way, if you don't think, if you don't believe me this morning, if I'm not convincing you by just saying it, I do encourage you to check this out for yourself, to get a concordance yourself, do a search in the New Testament for the words disciple or disciples. Again, you can probably take my word for it, right, most of you. Trust me. Okay. I do. So the point is that, here's the point, though. Right after Acts, Book of Romans, Paul's writings begin in the Book of Romans, and here's what you find. Paul never uses the words disciple or disciples. In his epistles. Not once. Let me say that again. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, and by that, because the church, by the way, is Gentiles and Jews in one body, he's really the one who revealed what the church is all about. He never uses the word disciple, never uses the word disciples. Not even once. Conclusion. Therefore, members of the body of Christ are never referred to as disciples. Let that sink in for a minute. Because I know this goes against the grain when it comes, you know, in everyday Christianity, right? This would be, they would consider what I'm saying now heresy, by the way. They would say that a disciple is much better than just a saint, a believer in Christ. That's what they would say. But it's not true because the word disciple never appears in the epistles to the church. We are never referred to as disciples, What's the very first book in the Bible after the book of Acts? Acts. Romans. I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm simple. See, I, by the way, you just start a reason why it's so important to repeat. A lot of people say, you know, here he goes again. I've heard that before. Hmm. Well, that may, I'm sure that's true if you've been here. Of course you've heard it before. <laughs> but when you try to recall it yourself, sometimes it's not so easy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point you over here to a document called who we are in Christ. And you've probably read some of it, hopefully, maybe it's on the websites on the first homepage, you can click a button and see it. 
And you might say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But if I were to give you a quiz and I were to say, name five of them from memory, how many do you think, well, I won't put that on you. It'd be a different story, though, wouldn't it? It would. Yeah, so you're not even... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I'm going to talk about it after. The document I'm going to encourage you to take when you leave today on who, what it means to be a Christian, who we are. All right, so with that, with that, let's turn to the book of Romans now. Let's go to the book of Romans, the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 7. The disciples, they were called disciples, were in the upper room with Jesus. And yet the last time we, we have disciples referred to is in the book of Acts, never in Paul's epistles. Here's the first one, the beginning of the first one. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, Grace to you. Here's why, by the way, things are totally new. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Where, as it were, in in an age of grace, freely poured out. Why? Because Jesus Christ has been revealed as the Son of God, but most importantly, the one who died for our sins and, and even beyond that, died to validate and to make reveal to everybody the fact that our God, his Father, our God, is righteous and just. And the death of Christ was sufficient to deal with the entire sin problem. Therefore, on the merits of Christ's death and importantly his resurrection, now there's absolutely no obstacle for God to be completely gracious. In other words, here we are. We know we're born dead in our sins, right? We know up to the moment we believe in Christ. That's our situation. And yet, God the Father declares us righteous as, as godless, as unrighteous people, which is an amazing thing to think about. And beyond that, Everything that we get as a, as a member of the body of Christ is a pure gift. Pure gift. And again, I've said this before, but gift with no strings attached. There's no ifs or you got to do this first, right? That's grace. That's grace. And boy, the things that God has graced us out with as members of the body of Christ are astounding. Way beyond anything that could have even been imagined by the disciples as they sat in that room listening to Jesus. Okay. So again, let me emphasize this. Paul refers here to the believers in Rome as saints, not disciples, and that's highly significant. By the way, if you, you can check out other, other letters that Paul sends to Gentile churches, and you will find that be, the reference to them as saints is his favorite way of addressing believers Gentiles in particular, in his letters to the Gentile churches. Okay? We're not going to turn to these right now. Oh, you can write them down. Or, or even just kind of go through your Bible. Okay, I'm done with Romans. Here's the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Oh, look, in the very second verse. Saints. 2 Corinthians, the very first verse. Saints. 
Ephesians, first verse, saints. Colossians, second verse, saints. Okay, he's emphasizing, he repeats, doesn't he? Emphasizing, this is a reality that we need to understand. And it's a very simple thing, okay? A very simple thing. Here it is. We are not disciples. We are saints. Let me say that again. We are not disciples. We are saints. And that's a far, far greater thing. But yet, here's the sad thing, and you know this. You'll seldom have ever hear about these facts in Christian circles or even behind pulpits. Because somehow, people have gotten the idea that, okay, so you're a saint. Everybody is a saint. Okay. And then some people are special saints called disciples. Have you heard that around? Is that, is that, do you think, is, the, is that a more common understanding of, of these two words, do you think? I know it is. All right? I, I, it totally. Now, I know you, you're like, no, it isn't. But that's because you're, you're taught this. But trust me, if you were to just kind of look at it on the web, or that's the conventional thinking in, 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 in Christianity. It's not true. We are, we are not disciples. We are saints. By the way, the fact that that's not, not really the common thing, by the way, that just shows you the power of the herd mentality, if you know what I'm talking about, you know? Well, go along to get along. All right, they say that. I'm not going to make any waves there, you know? But that's, that's not a good way to be. It's always better to check out what the Bible has to say. Never mind what you come in with or what other people say. All right. All right, so let's get cracking. Here's the gist of what I'm going to try to get across this morning to you in today's teaching. The facts about us as saints are far greater than the possibilities of the disciples. You might wonder, why do I use facts versus possibilities? Well, because when you have a conditional, when you have a condition that exists before something can come to pass, it's a possibility, right? But it's not a fact, okay? The facts about who we are in Christ as saints are far greater than even any of the possibilities for the disciples in the time of Jesus. That's the main point of today's message. All right, let's close in prayer. And <laughs> No, i got to show that. People are like, really? Oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's a key word that I'm going to start with. And it is something I want you to really pay attention to and concentrate on as we go to a couple of passages this morning. All right? And it is the word mystery. Mystery. This is, this is a key to understanding why it is that who we are in Christ as saints is far greater than anything that the disciples had before Jesus rose from the dead. It's this word, mystery. All right, let's, let's now, Bible words, okay, you have Bible words like mystery. Then you have the same word in what I'll call the secular usage, right? In other words, everyday usage, all right, for example, you know, mystery, oh, that's, that's a novel, right? I'm a mystery novel. I want to read it, right? Or, gee, it's a mystery why he didn't come to the, to the meeting last night. I don't know why. Well, that's not at all what the New Testament means by it. The New Testament has very specific and clearly defined meanings for certain words. And one of them is mystery. How do we know the specific and clearly defined meaning 
of a word in the New Testament? This is not, I'll give you the answer, but it's not hard. You take it out of the New Testament, right? That's what we'll do. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Colossians 1, 25. By the way, Colossians was a church that consisted almost entirely of Gentiles. Okay. Colossians 1.25. Paul writing. To this primarily Gentile church. And he says the following, writes the following. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit. What is this saying? God, the Lord, appointed Paul as an apostle to to teach and preach to the Gentiles. He had a stewardship, a responsibility, a rich, rich, rich set of information. God gave it to him for our benefit, so that I might notice fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That's his mission was to fully carry out the preaching of the word of God in the Gentile lands. Okay. So now he talks about the contents that he was, he was required to deliver in order to fully carry out the preaching of the word of God to the churches. Notice verse 26. And that is what? Mystery. A mystery. That's what he says. He says, listen... The, the, the mission I have to teach and preach to the Gentile church has to do with a mystery. What's a mystery? Look at verse 26. The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has now been manifested to his disciples. No, to who? The saints, right. So again, what's a mystery? It's something which has been hidden from past ages and generations. Now you may ask, what does that mean? Well, what it means, very simply, is that the past ages and generations, are all the way back, if you were to go all the way back, if you would go from Abraham forward, okay, so Abraham, the, the, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, the, the, the people that heard the ministry of Jesus Christ when he was here on earth, okay? Those are the past ages and generations. But now, during the ministry of Paul, has been manifested to his saints. To whom now, to the saints, to the church which consists of Jews and Gentiles together in one body, now, what? God is willing to make known when is the riches of the mystery, of the, of the glory, the riches of the glory of this ministry among the Gentiles. Now, if, I want you to just take that slowly. Now, here's a mystery. It's something that Paul preached that was hidden from past ages and generations all the way up to the, really the night before and even the, the day that Jesus died, now manifested to his saints the body of Christ, Jews and Gentiles in one body, to whom, this is us, God willed to make known to us as members of the body of Christ what is the riches. 
You want, is, is, that, is that something that you have an appreciation, that you want to know the riches that God has revealed? How about the glory? Absolutely. So he's setting up the fact this, is, this ain't just a mystery like Sherlock Holmes. There are riches and glory in this, re, in this mystery. Notice among who? The Gentiles. How many Gentiles were in the upper room with Jesus that night? None. So there's something that God was will to make known to the Gentiles. By definition, that means nothing in the Old Testament, nothing in the Gospels. I know that's a, that may be what? But it's true because, because everybody who lived during the period of the Gospels, okay, lived before the resurrection and ascension of Christ, before the church even began. The church begins with the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. No church before that. Okay. To whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, something hidden from past ages and generations and now manifested to his saints. What is it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Gentiles. Revealed to primarily Gentiles and Colossians. Okay, true of the church, now members of the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile in one body. It's a mystery. What is the mystery? But it's been revealed. You see, it's not, it's not hidden anymore. In other words, it's not like a mystery that people now have to go find out on a mountaintop or special people get it. It's revealed now for anybody to know about. Because right? in the Colossians, we're going to see it's in Ephesians as well. So he says now is the time to reveal this truth. That's true of the members of the body of Christ. Not true of, of, the, of the, the believers in the Old Testament. Not true of Abraham or David. Not true of John the Baptist. Okay? True of the, the, the smallest or the, or the most simple, lowliest believer in Christ who's a saint in the church. What? Christ in you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, Christ is in you. He's in you. He was put in there before you even knew about it. You didn't have to do anything for that to happen. It will always be true of you. Christ is in you. Now, what difference do you think that could make if you really believe that? As a matter of fact, if you repeated it to yourself every morning, you wake up and you say, hey, wait a minute, this is going to be a good day because Christ is in me. I mean, I got to tell you, there's not too many things. We're going to see, but there's really not too much that's better than that. (laughs) Can you, right? Right? Right. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, yet I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now, I live one way. How? By faith, by faith in the Son of God. So that's the, that's the secret, by the way. All right? If you, if, you, if you want to really live out who you are, all it takes is faith. Just like the only thing that it took for you to become a saint was faith. Faith in what? Faith in the truths that are revealed in the Bible, especially in the New Testament epistles. Why? Because if you want to understand what it means that Christ is in you, the only place where it's revealed is in the epistles. And I'll tell you what, epistles of Paul is where it's revealed. Now, these are facts, okay? You can check it out for yourself, okay? Christ in you, your hope of glory. The hope means something that is anticipated, that is sure to happen, okay? 
Well, of course, you know, we're talking about definitions, and, you know, there are times when I put a definition together myself. But here it's absolutely crystal clear what the word mystery means, right? Colossians 1.26, it's been hidden, something hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. So, a mystery is truth. Okay, it is true today that Christ is in you, whether you believe it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether somebody says something about you that you think destroys any facts about Christ possibly being in you. I mean, if you think about it, maybe, maybe I don't know, I don't want to know. This week you went out and you did something terrible. You did something terrible. And you've been shaking your head ever since. I can't believe it. I can't believe I did that. And then you come here this morning and I say, Christ is in you. And you might say, oh, but I did something really terrible this week. Well, he's still in you. He was in you yesterday. He was from the moment you believed. Christ was in you. He's in you today. He'll be in you tomorrow, next week, next month, if you're still around, next year, whatever. It's just a fact. It's true. Hidden from past generations. Again, that wasn't true of Abraham. You know, if you go in the book of of Genesis and you find out, where does it say that Christ was in Abraham? Nowhere. How about David? Nope. How about John the Baptist? Nope, because he died before the church started. But it's true of you. Christ is in you. So that's the definition. Now we get, notice in Colossians 1, we also get a specific revelation. So the general concept of a mystery, something hidden in the past generations, now revealed to the saints in the church, and a specific, specific revelation, and I've already mentioned it, but again, God now has made known the rich, glorious mystery to the Gentiles. Christ is in them. You know, part of being a Gentile believer is to make Jewish people jealous. If I could make it real simple. Make it real simple. Why? Because what does that mean? Well, it kind of means this. It means that the the Jews had privileges that went way beyond anything that the Gentiles had. Okay, they didn't want to have anything to do with the Gentile. Even a mixed Jewish Gentile race, like the, like the, um, help me out here, Samaritans. No way. If they're not 100% Jewish, we don't want anything to do with them. Okay. Hmm. We are the privileged people. Now, Paul comes along. By the way, he was a privileged Jewish person. Okay, if you read, just read in Philippians chapter 3, if you don't believe me. Right? Born of this line, uh, Jew of all Jews, knew the law better than anybody else. I mean, if there's anybody who could st- stood up at that time and say, if you want to understand what a, what a great Jew is, look at me. Yeah, that's, that was Saul of Tarsus. Then, of course, you know what happened. He's, quote, he's knocked off his horse. I don't know if it describes a horse, but in any event, boom, he understands that. Here's a problem. You've been persecuting the church. And Jesus said, I'm in, I'm in them. Those are me. That's flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And now Paul says everything that he possibly could understand has just blew up on him. So in the grace of God, he takes the Gentiles who were looked down upon, thought that were nothing, and made them greater than anything about any Jewish person in the Old Testament or even in the time of Christ. Every Jewish person except 
of course, those who believe and are members of the body. Okay, Christ is in them, Christ is in you. That's a specific revelation we have here in, in, in uh, Colossians 1.27. Okay, now let's go to the book of Ephesians. Go backwards to Ephesians chapter 3. In search of a mystery hidden in the past, revealed to the saints in the church. Here's another place where we learn about the mystery that makes the saints in Christ unique, far greater in terms of our identity than any, anybody in the Old Testament. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul... The prisoner of Christ Jesus, he's in prison in Rome now. The prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Here it is again. Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship, notice this, of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Grace means God takes the most unlikely, the most, the most despised in many cases, not wise, not mighty, and gives them the highest possible status and blessing. Not because of anything about them, not because of anything about you or me. As a matter of fact, most of us would fit that description, you know, in terms of mighty, rich, wise, noble. Mm-mm. Sorry to break it to you. No, the world has far better examples of that, don't they? Of the mighty, the rich, the powerful, the noble. I mean, we, we got somebody in England who steps up and says, well, my mom died, now I'm the king. And oh my goodness, even in the United States of America, we want to, oh, let's look at the coronation, let's do that. You know, why? Noble according to the world. We're not that, for the most part. Now, it is true that there were, there were definitely kings and queens of England who were believers. That's a different story. I don't know why I'm talking about royalty, but I think it's relevant, actually. We're not that. We are under the stewardship of God's grace given to Paul for you. Here it is again. The Gentiles, okay, have a a stewardship of God's grace. It was given to Paul for us. That's unique. What is it? By verse 3, that by revelation. Revelation means something that wasn't known that is then revealed to somebody. All of the Bible at some point was revelation. Okay? It's individual, to the writers, you know. I mean, the, the Lord revealed things, for example, to Moses that enabled him to write the book of Genesis. The Lord revealed things to John that enabled him to write the book of Revelation, everything in between, Revelation. But at some point, it, you know, it was given to somebody to write down. At some point, Isaiah became a prophet, and then the words that the Lord wanted him to speak were given to him by way of Revelation. But this is, of course, new. This is, this is Paul. After the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ to the church, the Gentiles, that by revelation it was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. Now, this is a bold thing to say, right? And if it wasn't true, then, I, then, then, then Paul was way off, right? Notice what he says. He says, by revelation, verse 3, there was made known to who? Me, Paul. Paul is saying, listen, there's stuff that was never revealed before 
and the Lord gave it to me. And who's him? Well, we're going we're gonna to read a little bit about him in a minute. By referring to this, you can, when you read verse 4, by referring to this, what's that? The revelation that was made known to Paul, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ himself. What does that mean? It means there were things about Christ that were never revealed in the Old Testament, never revealed while he walked this earth, and not revealed until Paul in his ministry to the Gentiles. Now, I'm not making this up, am I? Isn't that what, the, isn't that what your text says this morning? Absolutely. So again, verse 4, by re- referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. There's that definition of mystery again, right? As it has now, during Paul's ministry, been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. By the way, the other apostles learned this from Paul. You know, Peter would even say in one of his letters, you know, there's things that Paul has been teaching that are hard to understand. Yeah. He's unique in that regard. He was the stewardship. His was the stewardship of the mystery of Christ. Okay? Which in other generations, verse 5, was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, to be specific. I like it when he's specific. In other words, he's saying, I'm talking about this mystery that's now been revealed. Okay? I've given, I told you what it is in terms of a definition. Now I'm going to give you the specific thing that the Lord has given to me as a steward in his grace to give to you. What is it? That Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body of Christ. It's not an accident, okay, that in both cases, when Paul talks about a mystery that's been revealed to him, he speaks about Gentiles. In the book of Colossians, when he says Christ in you, he said Gentiles now have this. Here he says the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. Awesome. Right? Awesome. I don't want you to get used to this because, heck, it was a mystery that God held back for you, for me. And, and, and the thing about it is, is that he's talking about the body of Christ. You, if you're a believer, you're a member, I'm a member, and so forth. And therefore, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, the good news of which I, Paul, was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Gift all the way through. Not earned, not deserved, not because you followed a certain principle or practice. Pure gift, freely given by God, which was given to Paul according to the working of, the, of God's power. Now look at verse 8. Let's see the person that got this tremendous revelation from God. To me, who is he? The very, yes, Paul, right. And who is he? who does he say about himself here in verse 8? I am the very least of all saints. In other words, of everybody who ever became a member of the body of Christ, Paul was the least. He was the last in line, so to speak. And yet, it was to him that God revealed this mystery. There's grace for you. 
there's grace for you. If you think that you're beyond what God can do in your life for whatever reason you think that might be the truth, then you haven't really come to understand grace yet. Because grace means that many times God gives gifts, blessings, privileges even, to people who are the worst. The worst. I know that rubs against our sort of self-righteous way of wanting the world to work. But that's, that's, that in a nutshell is grace. That God would take Saul, who, who murdered Christians after all, and, and was, you know, he was the worst person in the world. He was the least of all saints. And Jesus said, that's the one. That's the one. Because if they saw me, if I, they see him, then they'll understand nobody is beyond my reach. All right? If I can grace him out, I, I can grace anybody out. The least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the, there it is again, Gentiles, the unfathomable riches of Christ. Interesting. Here's a double whammy of grace, right? The least of all saints was, was sent to the Gentiles who were looked down upon. <laughs> As in terms of how, how, how the, the nation of Israel saw, because they were, believe me, the, the nation of Israel is God's chosen people. Jews today are still that now. They are not, if they're not believers in Christ, they're not participating in that. But God has not forgotten Israel. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And yet, what God has done in his grace is to say, I'm going to take the Gentiles who were outside of my covenant, and I'm going to reveal things and give them things that never were revealed or given to Israel in the Old Testament. And again, things, by the way, which any Jewish person who believes in Christ gets. Let's make that clear. Okay, verse 8, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable, unimaginable riches of Christ. Verse 9, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the many-faceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. What is that saying? By the way, this was never, this was never said, said of the nation of Israel. He said, God has chosen to reveal the riches of, of who he is, of his wisdom. We have the mind of Christ, for example, the deep things of God, the many-faceted wisdom of God, in his wisdom decided that the worst of all sinners would be the one who would have this message, that the Gentiles who had been excluded from his covenant would now be brought into this tremendous thing called the body of Christ. In his wisdom, which goes far beyond our understanding, might now be made known through the church. God is working through the church now to do things that he never did before. One of which is to reveal his wisdom through us, the body of Christ, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He is broadcasting the riches of who he is through us. Isn't that another thing? Isn't that a good reason, by the way, to get together and hear the word of God together? It is, right? We are members of one another. God is actually using us, by the way, as a group, as a body. All right, there's no lone wolves. Okay, there's there's not. Okay. 
By the way, I, I, but so, so anyway, so, that, so he's, he's using us to broadcast who he is and all, all, all that the grace of God means through us to the, to the angels, both, both the elect angels and the fallen ones, by the way. Marvelous, isn't it? It is. It's just amazing. Hidden from the disciples in the past, revealed to the saints in the church. And again, this mystery was revealed to the least of all saints, the Apostle Paul, which is an illustration of the grace of God at work. Okay, let me ask you a question. What is the content of the mystery that's revealed here in Ephesians 3? Well, it's in verse 6, right? Look at verse 6 again. Here's the mystery. To be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. That's the mystery. That the members of the, of the church age, believers, both Jew and Gentile, are members of the body of Christ. Mystery never revealed. Fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the Gospels. This was the mystery that was revealed to Paul in the, in the letter of, of, to the Ephesians. Jews and Gentiles together, fellow heirs, fellow members of the body of Christ. We are an heir, by the way. We have an inheritance that goes way beyond. Paul, at the very beginning of the letter of Ephesians, talks about God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. By the way, I'm going to repeat myself. That's never said to any Old Testament saint. It was never said to the disciples while Jesus walked the earth. Said now, we have been blessed, graced out, nothing about us. God just did it because he could with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. By the way, I hope that that tells you where our life is. It's not on earth. You know, when Jesus Christ comes back and he sets up his kingdom on earth, then the Jews will then be the greatest people in the world again, and it'll be on earth. From start to finish, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, is an earthly nation. Are we, are we a nation even? No, we're not. We're a body of called out believers, and, and our citizenship, our life is in heaven where Christ is. Never forget that either. That's why we have to live it by faith. That's why you have to live it by faith, because we can't see it. We can believe it. The only way we can know about it is in the Word of God. So we really better continue to be going to the Word of God and reminding ourselves day in and day out who we are. Okay, so, so this is an unprecedented thing. These new things, fantastic, mind-boggling things, true about us, never even dreamed of or imagined until Paul began his ministry to the Gentiles. The facts, our identity, the facts about who we are as saints in the body of Christ now is far greater than the identity of any believer before Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Do you believe that, though? Do you live like you believe that? Are you intimidated sometimes when you look at, let's say you, you, you read in the Bible about a great Old Testament believer like Daniel, and you look about his life and you say, oh man, I'm ashamed of what my life compares to Daniel or David 
right? Well, you shouldn't be. Why? Because God made you something that was far greater than Daniel or David ever was. He made you that. The moment you believed in his son, it'll always be true. It'll never be taken away. It's true every day, whether you want to believe it or think about it or not. And I recommend you do think about it every day. You do. Our identity as saints now is far greater than that of any believer before Christ rose from the dead. As we close, I want to show you one example. Again, using, using our passage in John 15 as our takeoff point. But now I'd like you to go to... Hey, I didn't put it in there. Yeah, I did. I just skipped over it. Put it in the wrong place. Look at John chapter 14. Fifth, that should, man, I'm telling you, I'm having a rough morning. That's, that should be 15. This is what happens when you rewrite your message. <laughs> It's 15. Now, can I change that on the fly, Mark? No. You don't recommend it, do you? Uh, No, No, he doesn't. Uh, I didn't think so. John 15, verse 14. John 15, verse 14. Now, what what are we talking about here? We're talking about the uniqueness of the church, of the members of the body of Christ. If you're going to understand... This point, you need to understand and believe that the church is a new creation. Never before seen until Christ ascended into heaven. New creation. We, as members of the body of Christ, we have our own, the church has her own unique privileges, blessings, and destiny. And destiny. So you have to, you have, now, now I'm not asking you to just take my word for it, but trust me, you can't go very far in the epistles of Paul without seeing that this is so. So, what, so gee, what do you think you should be doing on maybe on a more regular basis than you have been doing? Well, and specifically what? It's specifically what? The epistles of Paul. Yeah. Why? Because that's the only place where, we're, where the mystery has been revealed, that we know who we are in Christ, that we are in It was Paul that said, if anyone is in Christ, new creature, new creation, unique privileges, unique blessings, and unique destiny. The church is not Israel. By the way, it also hasn't replaced Israel. Throw that idea out of your head. The church is heavenly. Okay. Now let's get back to John chapter 15. Verse 14. I think you're probably there. Jesus said to the disciples that night, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing, by the way? It is. It's a really wonderful thing that Jesus calls his disciples his friends. And by the way, they can consider themselves to be his friends also, but only if they do what he commands them. Which, as we see, they were set up to do. Okay, because God's an optimist. Yet, as great as it was to be called a friend by Jesus... 
our intimacy as members of the body of Christ, our intimacy with Christ, is far greater than friendship even. Let that sink in for a minute. Our intimacy is far greater than friendship. Why? We're members of his body. (laughs) We're members of his body. How tight do you have to be with somebody to be a member of their body? Right? That's pretty intimate. That's pretty close. Okay? So that's what I'm talking about. Our privilege as members of the body of Christ. Okay? It's more intimate than even friendship. Now, you can, if you, if you want to read something that will really open that up, we don't have time for it now, but Ephesians 5, 28 to 32 will show you. That's the one where he compares, uses the analogy of a husband and a wife. And then he uses that same word again. He says, this mystery is great, but I am talking about the relationship between Christ and his church. We're members of his body. And this is a fact. The fact. In the New Testament, Paul doesn't say, you're a member of his body if. You don't find that. It's just you are is a fact. God did it for us. Did it. Just did it. It's permanent. It required absolutely nothing of us for him to do that. And you might say, well, we had a belief. Well, yeah, but what belief ended, gave you what? Eternal life, Right? But, all, but God did other things after that, which are also, by the way, eternal life, salvation, and being justified are also grace gifts. Meaning we didn't do anything for those either. You know, don't, one of the things that sometimes happens to Christians is they start to think, well, I'm better than unbelievers because, you know, at least I believed, right? Well, throw that idea away because you wouldn't have unless God allowed you, gave you the opportunity and, and, and capability even to do it. All right, so never get, let's not get on our high horse about, hey, I did something that the unbeliever can't do or whatever. It's all a gift. Yeah, it doesn't, now it's a gift that God wants to give everybody, so don't get the wrong idea, all right? But it's a gift. And do anything that was worthy of it. God required nothing of us to make us members of his body. It's permanent. Nothing we can do can get us out of the body of Christ. And by the way, That is the case of so many things that God has made us to be. This morning I've just given you a little taste of what is a tremendous, tremendous subject. There are so many things about us, members of the body of Christ, saints by calling, that are far more wonderful than anything the disciples had before the church age began. If you want to know just a little more about that, you can read a few passages if you wish. There they are, Romans 7, 4 to 6, Romans 8, 1 to 4. These are, these are just a sample, by the way. And Galatians 5, 22 to 23. I picked these because they have to do with the same subject in John 15, namely fruit. Fruit. But I want you to see what Paul's epistles have to say about fruit. And then you can judge for yourself. Romans 7, 4 to 6. Romans 8, 1 to 4, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Or, maybe and, you can simply read it in this document that I just mentioned. Who you are, what it means to be a Christian. How many of you have ever seen this before? 
How many of you have ever read it before? I'm not looking at you as individuals. I'm just, I just want everybody to understand that, boy, you should get this. You should get it. You know, when I was in the hospital after, after really, really risky surgery, I had this, and I used to read one a day. I was in there. You can tell you how long I was in there. But, um, but, what, not, but I also started not bragging. I'm just showing the importance of this. When that I, I would then tell my nurses and, and everybody else that would come in. And by the way, it's amazing how many Christians there are among nurses and aides and cleaning people in hospitals. So I, I told them what it was. And, they, and I said, I want to give you a little gift every day. Right. I'm sitting there in a hospital. I'm like, I got nothing. Right. Except this. So I would say, hey, give me a number from one to 50. And they would give me a number and I would just go, hey, this is true about you if you're a believer in Christ. Yeah. So, you know. It's true about you. So anyway, get this. We got a bunch of them right here. They've been sitting here for months, by the way. <laughs> All right. Take one. But more importantly, use it. OK. And it's also, again, it's on our website. Okay, the first page, you can see at the top, 50 things that describe who you are in Christ. Get to know them, repeat them to yourself, believe them, okay? Good. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you this morning for opening our eyes once again to who we are in Christ as members of his body, saints. But help us going forward to have more dedication, understand more the riches of the glory that have been revealed to us as who we are as saints. Help us, Father, to, to recall these things. Help us to just appreciate there as a gift. Help us to think of everything that is true about us as a gift from you. The knowledge of it is a gift because if you're in ignorance, you can't really enjoy the gift. So help us to not be ignorant. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Speaking of a gift, we have Bible study Thursday at 6.30, and that's a gift too. All right? So please join us if you possibly can. We're on Skype as well as on person, in person. I want to remind you this morning, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. Giving, by the way, is a privilege. I know it doesn't seem it, but that's what the Bible says. And, and the Bible says too um, that when Paul asked the saints to give financially, he, he would tell them, he would say, you know what, the, your, yours is the blessing when you do that. And, and it's a real simple reason. It's because you're imitating our Father in heaven. You're saying to yourself, you know, heck, I got enough for my needs. God has graced me out. If you don't believe that, just turn on your television and look at the conditions that 95% of this world live under. And you'll have a better understanding of that. So you say to yourself, okay, I've been graced out by God. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to. What does he also offer? I can be that way too. That's the mindset. And that, by the way, as a, as a pastor, teacher, and elder, that's really, you know, what I do when I offer these things to you. The benefit goes to you. You're blessed. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand people are in situations where they can't. Okay, and that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm talking to. But if you can, please consider it. This is an urgent need for a member for a member of the body of Christ. Okay, so it's um so if you want to do that, the way in which you can give, whether you I think most people most people now are on, give on the from our website probably in the but whatever you want to mail it, you want to, whatever you want to do. But please, if you can, um, help this woman out. Okay.
All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have made us to be. Once again, thank you, Father, that you have given us everything that you have, and most importantly, the hope for the future, the confidence that no matter what happens, as Paul said, you will deliver us safely from any threat or difficulty into your heavenly kingdom. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And with that, you're dismissed. I would say go Patriots, but I'm mad at them. They're just, they're not doing well.